0: are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning... These films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. Dunkirk, which came out in 2017 and was directed by Christopher Nolan. Where are we going? Dunkirk. There's no hiding from this sun. We have a job to do. If we go there, we'll die. See it from here. What? Home. It stars Finn Whitehead, Tom Hardy, Kenneth Branagh, Cillian Murphy, Barry Keegan, Harry Styles, and Mark Rylance. The genre would be war epic. Man, this movie really sneaks up on you. For its first 70 minutes, it's tense and frustrating and remote and confusing at times you can kind of see what Nolan's going for, telling three concurrent narratives at the same time from different vantage points of the Dunkirk evacuation in May of 1940, on land, at sea, and in the air. And on paper, it's certainly a clever concept, but it's not always easy to latch onto from a character standpoint. And that, apparently, is also the point of this, quote, intimate epic taking place over a week following several unnamed British individuals who we don't really get to know that in-depthly, besides the variety of harrowing situations that they find themselves in. Nolan makes it all about incident. Watching this massive undertaking of Allied forces trying to evacuate 400,000 troops, now trapped in a beachfront bottleneck, the titular town of Dunkirk, surrounded by Nazi forces closing in, by keeping it entirely ground level. Even when up in the air, flying in a Spitfire plane piloted by Tom Hardy. We see folks scrambling to get on boats, struggling to stay on these boats, and even laboring to keep from drowning when several of these boats are starting to sink. Nolan's camera, with help from D.P. Hoyt Van Hoytema, just takes us through so many tense situations, and from genuinely tense vantage points. On a technical level, this film is a supremely impressive achievement, also helped by a top-flight, mostly atmospheric score from Hans Zimmer, which sort of becomes its own character, just augmenting the tension of everything that we see on screen. And the cast is uniformly strong, even though most appear to be underplaying at times. And I say, quote, appear, because this is a genuinely British story told very much from the British point of view. Seriously, the very demeanor and tone of most of our characters is just so stiff upper lip, in that British way, that Barry Keegan's George could very well be the most relaxed cinematic portrayal of a teenager suffering a slow, untimely death. Yeah. Get it's the only thing I've ever done. It's, right. it's okay. Just have some water. I told my dad I'm, I've done nothing at school. And that I would do something one day. Maybe get in the local paper. Maybe my teachers would see it. Okay, get some rest. I need you back up on deck as soon as you're able. And yet, it all serves a purpose taking us to around the 75-minute mark when we hear one character utter one word, which we'll get to a bit later. And from this point on, all of these characters, which we have barely gotten to know, they at least start to converge together. The triple narrative cross-cutting structure doesn't really let up, but it makes more sense as we realize how the interconnectedness of the various players seemed random on the surface, but now it's all coming together. Now, even having seen Dunkirk a few times, could I possibly explain the whole plot to you? Not in the slightest. But that's okay, because by the time we reach those closing credits, preceded by a lovely image of Hardy now standing maskless in front of his burning plane, and a muted reading of Churchill's famous speech, the director has accomplished his goal of making his audience genuinely feel something profound, in that unique, often dry, always fractured narrative way that only Christopher Nolan can. We shall go on to the end. And that brings us to the categories. The first category would be best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. Because music is essential to film. And boy, is it essential to this one. With this category of needle drops, I guess you could say that I have been a bit of a broken record. Get it? Needle drop? Broken record? Okay. About one composer in particular who keeps coming back again and again. And that is my man Hans Zimmer. Since becoming a frequent collaborator with Christopher Nolan, Zimmer has been increasingly raising his game with genuinely unique film scores, from those scraping violins and electric guitar sounds accompanying the Joker in The Dark Knight, to those ear-shattering blasts from the organ during Interstellar, to the uniquely tense atmospherics we hear from his orchestra throughout Dunkirk. This is a score designed to keep the viewer on edge, and for one thing, we hear the sound of ticking throughout. Beyond that, we often hear what sounds like the continuous escalation of his orchestra. It just keeps building and building, It never seems to stop, or at least that's the illusion we are meant to hear. According to Vox, this sort of musical device is known as a shepherd tone, where we hear different tones separated by an octave, layered on top of each other. And combined, they sound like one ascending tone. This is utilized throughout the score during several tense sequences, to the point where escalating tension actually seems to be a theme of the score, a recurring theme. It's especially effective during a sequence late in the movie, when one medical ship carrying away British troops has been hit by enemy aircraft and is now starting to sink, resulting not only in hundreds of men now in the water trying to find something to float on while they wait to be rescued, but also a growing pool of oil spreading around, coming from the engine of this boat, which these men in the water are starting to be immersed with. But wait, it gets better. The German aircraft which bombed that ship is now engaged in an aerial dogfight just above everyone, as one sailing vessel is starting to rescue them. They're still covered with oil. And that dogfight is won by one of the Royal Air Force's finest, who shoots down the enemy plane, which is now smoking and on fire. And yep, this plane is now about to crash into the very water where several floating troops are covered with oil. Whew, short version, war is hell, and Zimmer's score helps demonstrate this extreme danger that these young men now find themselves in. The track is called, of course, The Oil. The next category would be wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Going back 17 years to previous review, Batman Begins, check it out, by the way, Michael Caine has co-starred in every Chris Nolan movie except Dunkirk. In fact, he actually appears in the movie after this that Nolan directed, Tenet. I'm at a loss as to why Sir Michael couldn't even make one on-screen appearance within this setting, where literally 99% of the characters are British. It's just strange. No matter, because at least we get to hear Michael Kane's voice early on as he makes one brief vocal cameo as the radio dispatcher for the Royal Air Force. Check fuel, just 1 of 2. 70 gallons. 68 gallons, Fortis Leader. Stay down at 500 feet to leave fuel for 40 minute fighting time over down curve. Understood. Factor one two eight Angels point five. And keep an eye on that gauge, even when it gets lively. enough to get back. And now the next category: the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. Now, going back to that critical moment I mentioned earlier, when we see a red-faced dour Kenneth Branagh playing a British Navy general suddenly start to crack a smile, even holding back tears as he puts down his binoculars, looking out in the distance, and he says. What do you see? Home. Zimmer's score begins to swell as we see a parade of images of various British tugboats and yachts start to float nearby, all manned by an array of older sailors, each standing triumphantly at attention, as we also hear the rousing cheers of British soldiers from all around. It is almost Spielbergian with regards to just how this moment initially feels and how it's been presented to us. But in a good way, of course, because Nolan has earned it. Even though we really don't know these people being rescued, we can appreciate the sheer scale of this triumphant moment built upon all of the struggle that it took to get to this point. And it doesn't even get overplayed, as this whole sequence lasts for maybe three minutes. But from this point on, Dunkirk becomes a more emotional film, even if not all the emotion is derived from triumph. And now the final category. That would be the MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. It's not even really much of a question. Christopher Nolan is the true star of this movie from just about every angle in how he cast it, how he filmed it, how he structured it, and even the mere idea of a movie focused on this particular chapter of World War II. Now, is it his best movie? Well, not from my standpoint, but I would say it's definitely in the top half. And this is coming from someone who thinks that most of his films are pretty great. For crafting one of the most uniquely engaging war films ever made, Nolan is the MVP. What was the decision, what inspired you to take this to the big screen to tell this story? As a storyteller, you're looking for a gap in the culture. You're looking for a great story that just hasn't been addressed, or hasn't been addressed in modern movies. Dunkirk's a story that I grew up with, like most British people. It's sort of in my bones. I don't remember the first time I was told it. And when I looked at why isn't that there in the modern lexicon of cinema? Why doesn't it exist? There are reasons for that. Mostly that it's a British story that requires an American budget. My rating for Dunkirk would be four stars out of five. (laughs) Dunkirk is not for everybody. But if you're on its wavelength, it's a true sensory experience that should be seen on the biggest screen possible with the best sound. And if you're looking to watch Dunkirk, it's currently streaming on HBO Max. And that ends another persevering review. Please like, subscribe and share the Living for the Cinema podcast and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema.